0: Um, would you like to take a seat? Oh my goodness, is that pizza? Yeah, hide that. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, but still. Bring it for. What was the thing? If you can't share it. No, can't remember. Something at school about having to share it with everyone. Um, oh, would not it be cool if the pizza was like the 5,000? Only there's not quite 5,000 of us. Uh, no, let's not try. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Um, Lovely to be here this evening. My name's Jessica, if we've not met before. Um, I'm on the staff here at St. Matt's. I predominantly work with the children and families, which is wonderfully chaotic. Um, I'm also married to Ed, um, co-lead pastoring um, here at St. Matt's, and I'm really excited to be speaking to you all this evening. We have got a bonus Sunday on our Vision Series. Ooh, yes, you guys are on it. Um, Oh, it says bonus Sunday. Good. Um, it's very exciting. And I thought, oh, wonderful. Um, this means I get to pick my own, very own passage. Because so often you're kind of just told what you're speaking on. And um, sometimes it's really a tricky passage. And I was like, yes! And then I looked at the whole Bible. And you're like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff to narrow it down from. But you'll be pleased to know we're not going to do the whole Bible tonight. We'll save that for another night. Tonight we're just going to look at Moses and the burning bush. Exodus 3. I know, it's a good passage. Whoever, ooh. Yes, thank you. Um, and we're going to be focusing on our vision statement here at St. Matt's, which is to love Jesus and transform Exeter. Love, woo, exactly. Love Jesus and transform Exeter. Now, um, if I were in kids groups, what I would do is I'd say, love Jesus, and you say? Oh, that went wrong, didn't it? That went really wrong. Let's try again. I'm going to say love Jesus, and you're going to repeat me. Ready? Love Jesus. Transform Exeter. Exeter. You guys are great. Well done. Um, So we're going to look at how we can love Jesus and transform Exeter. Um, I'm going to pray before we begin, and then we're going to grab our Bibles. Lord Jesus, will you speak to us this evening? Give us ears to hear what you have to say. Speak to us, guide us, call us, and equip us, I pray here, Lord. Amen. Right, if you've got a real Bible, um, we're in Exodus 3, 1 to 14. If you don't have a Bible, the words are also going to come up on the screen, um, so you can read along with me there. Are we ready? Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over here and see this strange sight. Why the bush did not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. I'm going to pause there and have a look at how Moses said yes. Anyone here love a game of hide and seek? Come on! Hide It should definitely be played more as adults, because I think we're better at hiding now than we were as children. Like, we would definitely be really good at epic games of hide-and-seek. And And if you don't know me, I'm quite a competitive individual. I like to win, and that doesn't end at hide-and-seek. I'm in it to win it. And um, one of the great things that we've been doing over the last few years with the Jackson family, with Chris and Kate, is to go to their house on Christmas Eve, have wonderful food, and then play Hide and Seek. And um, this was great, because over the, the last couple of years, the children just kind of entertained themselves. It was really the adults and the teenagers who played Hide and Seek while they kind of just played with the Sylvanian families. Whereas now, Zoe, my four-year-old, like, Mummy, I'm going to hide with you. And I'm like, oh, good. Okay, let's do that. And so I was quite pleased with my hiding space. We got behind the sofa, we'd sort of drawn the curtains around us, and I was like, shh really quiet and then Kate walks into the room and as you do when you're playing with kids she's like I wonder where Zoe is and Zoe's like here I am and literally spoils the whole thing um we were found first but that's okay I've got over it and I'm not going to hold it against her I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this Zoe was so excited to be found she was excited to say here I am pick me In our passage today, Moses is curious. He sees this unusual sight of the burning bush, but it's not being consumed by the fire, and he goes over to see it. He hears his name being called, and he says, Here I am. He answers the call from God. And if he was caught off guard by a burning bush that's not been consumed and his name being said from the bush, he is not noted down in the Bible. He keeps his cool. If it were me, I'd have legged it, screamed like a girl, and left my sheep to be eaten by wolves. It wouldn't have been ideal. But no, Moses says, you're all right, I'm here. Here I am. Each one of you here today is not here by accident. We're all here, and I believe chosen by God. And he wants to use you to transform Exeter. But sometimes we have to say, here I am. And I know I am a culprit for waiting for the next, um, to see what the next step is going to be, making sure I know what I'm volunteering for. In fact, um, I don't know if you've got a secondary school teacher like I did, who always used to say, can I have a volunteer, please? And me being a keynote was like, yes, pick me. And he'd be like, take the bins out. And I'm like, oh. But... But his point was, never volunteer until you know what you're volunteering for. And I'm like, "Eh, okay, fine. But God wants the opposite of us, right? He wants us to step out bravely to say to him, here I am, before we might know what it is he's calling us to do. Now, you might be sat here tonight thinking, I don't even really know where I'm at with my faith, Jessica. I don't know what this whole Jesus malarkey is all about. You may have been investigating faith, kind of questioning it. Well, I wonder if God is calling you today to bravely step out and say, here I am. I don't know what the next part of the story is going to look like. I don't know if it's going to be easy or hard or simple or complicated. But here I am. I say yes to you tonight. Now, um, my eldest daughter, so we've got Zoe, who's terrible at hide and seek, bless her. Phoebe, she is sick, started school last year. And um, I accidentally joined the PTA. I think I mentioned that, (laughs) like, genuine accident, didn't mean to, ended up on the PTA, am organising the summer fair, haven't told my husband that. love you. Um, so um, that was a genuine accident. And about this time last year, I found myself in a very similar situation. Um, every time I walked into St. Leonard's Primary School, on my right-hand side, there was what had obviously once been a beautifully kept gardening area. There were these raised beds that had been made lovingly out of wood, um, but they were just growing some pretty spectacular weeds. They were really, really good weeds, but weeds nonetheless. And I thought, You know what I bet they've never thought of doing? A gardening club with all their spare time. So I bounced up to Phoebe's teacher and I said, Mrs. Leprake, you should run a gardening club. And she was like, oh, that is such a good idea. We would love you to run a gardening club. Yes, please, Jessica, can you run a gardening club? And I was like, I see what you've done there. You've done what I was trying to do to you. And um, I said yes, because that's the kind of person that I am. But guys, I kill plants. Like, genuinely, don't give me a houseplant. They scream as they come into my house. It's like, no, I'm going to die! Um, And so this is where we're at. I can't garden. So I thought, let's gather some parents who do know how to garden. And in fact, we've got a professional gardener. Yeah, I know. In our class, well, not in the class, a parent of the gardener. That would be pretty cool if there was a four-year-old who's a professional gardener. But um, no, the, the parent is a professional gardener. And I was like, Laura, can you be my gardener. You teach me. And she's like, yes, but I'm quite scared of children. I was like, you have three. You do know that, right? She's like, yes, but big groups of children. I was like, it's okay. I can handle the kids. You teach me how not to kill the plants. And so we prepared for our gardening club. And I was actually quite excited. And on the first day, I was walking up to school. It was a Tuesday afternoon. And on the road was this big steel watering can, you know, like a proper watering can that just looks like Like, yes, that is none of this plastic, a good watering can. I was like, Lord, it's a sign, because it said free on it. So I picked it up and merrily skipped on into school. And you know what, it went really well. We planted butternut squash, we planted courgettes. The the groundsmen feasted on courgettes that summer. But on that first session, I um, remember we'd planted everything, and I got to the end and I was like, oh, I need some volunteers to go and fill up the watering cans. So off three little children went. And I was like, oh, they have been a while, haven't they? I better not lose anyone on the first day. So I walked around the corner to see where they were, and they were having a whale of the time. I don't know if you remember what it's like playing with water in the garden. Such fun. Every time they picked up the watering can, it was like a sprinkler out the bottom. In my eagerness to find this free watering can, turns out it had so many holes in it. It was utterly useless. They were like, look! Look! And as they picked it up and down, getting their feet and their shoes completely wet. And I stood there thinking, this is why I'm not a gardener. And um, I was reminded of this moment when I was preparing for this passage, because I, I felt utterly useless. I felt completely inadequate to do this job. I was underqualified. I had a holy watering can. Although, having said that, I've kept it going because I haven't, there is no money to buy a new one, it would seem. Um, but it, it sort of works if you run fast enough to water the, water the plants. Um, and this, pales, this example pales in comparison to setting a whole nation free from slavery. But I think Moses probably felt quite underqualified and ill-equipped, but God called him, and he said yes. I felt totally underqualified, totally ill-equipped, but I said yes. He stepped out into what felt like the unknown with God, but he chose to say, yes, here I am. And I wonder what situation you're going to find yourself in tomorrow morning, where you might be waiting just to kind of like see what it's going to be like before you commit yourself. Is it in a relationship where you're like, well, I'm just going to wait for the love to come back, to actually feel the love before I commit to making it work? Is it in a job where you're like, well, I'm just going to wait and see how the next few months plans out before you commit to it? Sometimes God calls our name and calls us to trust in him and what is coming next will be what he has planned for you. We're going to see exit transformed when ordinary normal people step out and say here i am pick me we're going to jump back into the passage grab your bibles or it'll come back up on the screen with verse 5 and please don't laugh i was meant to practice the names of the um, places this morning and then i forgot to practice them again this afternoon so we're going to come to some complicated names in a minute and don't laugh at me it will be fine ready do not come any closer god said take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Preziarites, the Hi- Hivites, and the Jezibites, maybe. And the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." I'm gonna pause there again and look at how um, you can be consecrated. You can consecrate yourself because God wants to use you. Consecrate yourself because God wants to use you. Um, I was really excited. I got to go back to HTB, which is where Ed and I um, planted from, um, four years ago. First time I've probably been back to London in four years. And we went back for the HTB Leadership Conference, which um, is a conference I do um, most years, apart from COVID, in the Royal Albert Hall. And it was amazing, because it's the first time I've actually been able to go to the conference and be in the conference. Because being on the staff at HTB, you're kind of like behind-the-scenes running stuff. And so I kind of felt, I was like, I crept into the Albert Hall, and I was like, whoa. Oh, this is so cool. If you've ever been there, it's a spectacular venue. And it was filled with all of these leaders of the church praising God. And it was absolutely amazing. I had a wonderful two days. Now, the thing is, I came to that conference expecting that as I came away from it, I would be brimming with new ideas on how to run the kids groups, how to lead better with Ed, how to um, transform Exeter better. And I was really struck by how actually the thing that I came away with most was that I am called to consecrate and confess before God. That was the thing that really hit home. And it came from a session led by Archie Coates, who was interviewing four young adults um, and one college professor from Asbury University in Kentucky. Um, There, at the beginning of February, was an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we heard from these um, four students and this professor and actually some of the HTB network pastors who went out to go and um, see what it was all about and it was absolutely incredible but the thing that they were talking about was forgiveness, confessing and consecrating. Now if you haven't heard about it or well we're just going to watch a little video um, to give you a taste of what um, the Asbury revival was like.
1: I had to teach class at 1 o'clock and I remember commencing class and a couple of students were awfully distracted. You could tell that they didn't want to be there. At 1.30pm halfway through class four students barged into my classroom unannounced, a sweat running down their face which I found out later was actually tears and they declared very loudly, Prof Rob you have to go to Hughes Auditorium now. Revival is breaking. There was a little bit too much to take in on the first sight. One, because it seemed so ordinary and basic, but at the same time it seemed so pure. The worship that we experienced was not polished. It had no tech behind it. In fact, a lot of the worship leaders were identified uh, simply prophetically. They were just invited out of the prompting of the Spirit. We didn't really know their level of talent, but it was as pure as it could be. It was all back to like the origins and it was like, it was scripture and it was prayer. We just heard stories upon stories, people just didn't wanna leave. We are so programmed and planned that we don't give any waiting to God. But we're beholding Jesus and only Jesus. There was this this theology of lingering that began to develop.
0: They're the ones who were sensitive enough to say, something's different, we're gonna stay.
1: It began to snowball and then students that were still like closing their teeth and the holding on didn't want to be there but couldn't get away eventually broke and they began to share their
0: stories. I mean there was a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of like turning towards one another. It was repentance, it was confession, it was at the altar desiring more of Jesus.
1: I've never known repentance to feel so compelling, the kindness of God leading to repentance.
0: And people were surprised. Like think that they're coming to experience some sort of awesome revival and find themselves in repentance. It's just like it takes your breath away and like that's our God, the awe and the wonder.
1: It was this irresistible invitation out of the hearts of these Gen Z leaders into actually what you were created for. Real given over a life for God. That's what yeah. we want to see. So much of what has happened in Wilmore, Kentucky is not for Wilmore, Kentucky. It's not for Asbury, it's for the world. Now's the time for just a consecrated life, a life of contending, travailing, crying out and really just radically trusting God and so I encourage, I urge, I compel my sisters and brothers, church leaders, if there's one thing that you can do, Get down on your knees and pray. Believe in the power of prayer. The Lord hears us. Outpourings do occur today. It could actually shift the landscape of the society like it did for these tens of thousands of people walking into Hughes Auditorium, that it could be for for each of our churches.
0: Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want to see here in our university in Exeter, to see revival pour out? And I was sat there in the Royal Albert Hall looking and listening to these young people and challenged like I've not been challenged in a long time about confession, consecration, remembering that God is a holy God. And I was like, how often actually do I go into my day and is it shaped by that, shaped by how holy God is? And revival happened there because God wanted it to happen. But the hearts of those who were there were to give it back to God. And they had this room, apparently, that I suppose we might call a green room, um, if you were at a normal sort of um, gig venue, where people go to like, get prepared before they come out and lead worship or, or speak. And instead of it being full of, like, fancy nuts and kettle crisps, um, it was a place because kettle crisps are really fancy in my mind, it was a place where um, anyone, before they'd step on the stage, they would go and they would consecrate themselves to God again. And they would confess to God. And they would confess and they would consecrate, they'd give it to him, and then they would go and do what God had called them to do. They said, God, this is your thing. It's not our thing. This is yours. It's a holy moment. Use us. Meet with us. Moses finds himself in the presence of God. And God says, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. The definition of consecrated is land or space that has been declared sacred or holy. And I took a retreat day off the back of um, the leadership conference. And um, I was like, God, I need, to, I need to spend some time hanging out with you. And the best way I hang out with God is by going on a really long run. Um, so I set off and I kind of thought, well, I'll just give this like confession, consecration thing a little go as I was running around the city. And I kid you not, an hour later, I was still confessing to him. But you know what, it wasn't a like whiplashing, oh, Jessica, you're just getting it wrong again and again and again. No, it was gentle. It was a daughter coming to her father It was me saying, God, this is yours. This ministry is yours. This city and this church are yours. And I felt so close to God in that moment, restoring our relationship, coming to my heavenly Father. And I'm not saying you need to start every day with 60 days on your knees of like, Lord, I have done everything wrong. I'm such an awful human being. Um, No, don't think that's what he's saying at all. But I think often we forget to come to God and just say, look, We've got business to do, haven't we? We've got some stuff to say, got to put some things right. And our loving Heavenly Father, He scoops us up and He cleanses us of all of those things. And we can consecrate ourselves, our bodies, our lives, be a space that is declared sacred and holy and committed to God. Because when you follow Jesus, He lives in you. When we follow Jesus, you are His son or daughter of the King of Kings. And you can take your um, sacred holy space, your body, into your workplaces, your lecture halls, your sports teams, your marriages, your schools. And that's important because people will see a difference. People will notice a difference in you. And you might be sitting there thinking, Jessica, you have no idea how wrong I've got it. You have no idea what I have said, what I have done, how I have acted. No, I have no idea. But I do know that Moses was an abandoned refugee murderer. And God still chose him. He chose him to lead his people out of Egypt. And he wants to work with you too. He chooses you. And the final thing that gives me goosebumps every time I think about it is how this revival in Asbury was led in the majority by the 19 to 25-year-olds it was students, it was young adults. And we love you students, we love you young adults, and you are the next generation who are gonna lead this church. You are gonna be leading, might not be from the front like this, but you're gonna be taking church into your workplaces and spreading the word of Jesus. And I wanna encourage you that um, we love you and we wanna help mobilize you just as God wants to use you and he has plans for each one of you. He has plans to use you here at St. Matt's or wherever it is you're going. I see some of our students have come back. Welcome back. It could be that you're working, um, do, God's calling you to work in the place that you have gone. We genuinely believe that God wants to work through the young people of our church. Now, don't worry. If you're not in the 19 to 25 category, neither am I. Um, Neither was Moses. He was knocking on the door of 80 when he got uh, God talking to him from the burning bush. So really none of us can exclude ourselves from God's calling. But tonight we want to pray, and we're going to do this at the end. We want to pray for the students and the young adults here in the room. We want to pray for you, and we want to bless you because we believe God is going to do big things with you. We want to um, consecrate our bodies. We want you to consecrate yourselves because God wants to use you. Let's pick up our Bible's final part of the passage, starting at verse 11. But God said to Moses, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. So we've looked quite a bit at how Exeter is going to be transformed by saying yes to God when he calls you, by consecrating yourself because he wants to use you. But this last part is all about reminding us that at the heart of it all is God. It's God and it's who he is. So we're going to look at how we can trust that he is good because he brings the transformation, not us. He brings the transformation, not us. The translation um, in Hebrew of I am who I am is Yahweh. And then we translate that again into Lord. And I um, love that we've celebrated Passover um, a couple of weeks ago about the, you know, the tongues of fire coming down and filling the disciples And I like to think of this in comparison to to Moses um, meeting God in a burning bush because fire is so often used to describe God and he uses fire in different ways. We see that in the Bible at Pentecost. Um, The pillars of fire, uh, Elijah and the burnt offering, but fire is typically one of those uh, less friendly elements. You don't want a fire in your house, unless it's you know, contained behind a hearth. Uh, but generally, we don't um, encourage our children to run towards fire with open arms. It's attractive, but it can be fierce and formidable. We can even see that today in the news from what's going on in Canada and the States. Fire can be all-consuming. But that image of the burning bush reminds us of the God that we follow. And the difference between our God and the other idols that we have in our lives is that those things burn up in the fire and they are destroyed. But our God is a consuming God who burns for you. He's not going to be destroyed in the fire. Um, One of my favorite books growing up um, was C.S. Lewis, um, Chronicles of Narnia. Absolutely loved them. Would listen to them on audiobook over and over and over again. Um, uh, For a little while, pretty sure I was kind of word perfect with some of my favorites. Um, And I loved C.S. Lewis because he used his um, kids' books to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus without them even knowing. It was like sneaky evangelism. And... um, He uses, he represents Jesus as a lion in this book. Again, another attractive, yet quite a fierce image. We don't encourage our children to go and play with lions. In probably the most famous um, of the books, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, we find one of the main characters having a conversation with a beaver. Often, again, happens in the the Chronicles of Narnia, if you haven't read them. And when Lucy, this character, um, is talking to the beaver, and she finds out Aslan is a lion, she says, a lion, is he quite safe? And the beaver replies, Safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course, he is not safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. And I was reminded of this book as I was preparing this message because I wonder how you see God. How do you view God? How do you view Jesus? Often in the Bible, when people met Jesus, they were rubbed up the wrong way. We hear about how people kind of got into a bit of a kerfuffle. Their life's beliefs and values were completely questioned. It's not always warm and fluffy being a follower of Jesus. But he is good. And as we follow him, and as we learn more about him, and as we encounter him, we will learn to love him more because he is so good. We were even singing that earlier he is good, and his goodness is running after us. For so Moses, he sees that God is a good God who listens to his people. He hears the cries of the people in Egypt, and he hears our cries and our prayers today. We can't guarantee that they're going to be answered right here, right now, that we see um, people healed right here, right now. But we can trust that God is a good God, and that maybe later in this life, and if not in the next, he will bring about freedom from anything that binds us and holds us back, because he is a good God. When we listen, and when we love, and when we follow Jesus, we will grow in our relationship with him. And God is a consuming God, a fierce and formidable God but he is an attractive and good God and completely 100% for you. We are called to love Jesus, to remember who he is, the son of God. And as we hear that calling to say, yes, here I am, we may feel that inadequacy that Moses felt, how I felt at gardening club, but what matters is that divine promise that God will be with you and that he is good. And we're not doing this in our own strength. We're not bringing about transformation in our own strength. It is him that does it. It's from the strength of our love in Jesus that does it. So tomorrow morning, wherever you find yourself, remember that God is a good God and God will go with you. So let's be a church that says yes when he calls you. Consecrate yourself because he wants to use you. And trust that he is good because he wants to bring transformation, not us. Amen.